sponsored by the Facial Paralysis and Bell's Palsy Foundation and by Rise Physical Therapy. This is Unique Smiles, the Facial Paralysis Podcast, and I'm your host, Brian April. Welcome to Unique Smiles, the Facial Paralysis Podcast, which are now available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and on YouTube. Search Unique Smiles or the Facial Paralysis Podcast. My guest today is Zoe Cross, who is a life and business coach and has facial paralysis from Mobius Syndrome, and she joins us early in the morning over in Germany, and thank you so much for taking the time today and uh, getting up a little early to, to join us. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Now we uh, we've had a few people on with uh, with Mobius syndrome before, and so we know uh, Mobius presents itself in multiple ways, whether unilateral uh, facial paralysis, bilateral facial paralysis, other uh, physical ailments. What is it like growing up as a child with Mobius syndrome? Mm, um, <laughs> um, yeah, not 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 that easy um i i have a lot of uh, good memories though i do have i have a very uh, a load of very very positive fond memories of childhood but um there was um, one of my one of my early memories unfortunately also was of bullying there was a particular boy in my class um primary school who um, took a special interest in me and uh, singled me out for um, physical bullying. Um, I think I must have been about four or five. I don't remember it very well, but I well, I do remember lying on the playground um, and realising that I'd lost consciousness um, because he'd, um, I don't know, kicked me or hit me, and certainly I had uh, injuries. Um, fortunately superficial injuries but I did have injuries to my head um, and I was bleeding and had to be taken home and um, this occurred a couple of times actually um, fortunately my mother um, actually I think my mother went into the playground talked to him directly and after that she says nothing happened again and hmm. um, but because of this, because of this occurrence and because there were one or two other incidences when I was spat at, when I was kicked, when I was thrown to the ground, and um, also later um, as an adolescent, my biggest fear and all, always has and always will be physical violence. Mm-hmm. Um, and so by comparison, um, if people call me names, I'm not. I mean, of course it hurts me, but if people call me names, I'm the first thing I think is, is that it, or are you going to go further? Um, so there's always this instinctive fear of physical violence, and that uh, colors me to this day. Um, um, yeah, different, <laughs> different. Um, yeah, I could say when I actually um, discovered that I was really different. So you said that that still kind of bothers you to this day? Um, or that thought process? That, yeah, it's just when I'm in certain situations, I just look around. I'm just careful. Um, I'm, generally speaking, I'm, I'm, I, uh, I don't have a car, so I have to use 
uh, public transport. And so I'm on the buses uh, quite a lot because, of course, I commute to work um, on a daily basis. Um, but there are situations when um, there'll be um, adolescents in the bus and they might say the odd word to me and they might make comments. It doesn't happen very much anymore. And I think it's because I, the way I carry myself, I've learned to carry myself the way and I dress, maybe, and the way, I don't know, I think I've got, maybe I give out this air, I don't know, <laughs> I give out this air, or, oh, I haven't got time for stuff like this, <laughs> I don't know. But there are still certain situations when if somebody will comment, people are laughing behind my back about me, which occasionally happens, and I then instinctively try to, to sense is are they just having fun among themselves or have they got nothing to do are they bored and are they possibly consider uh, considering uh, going further and confronting me as a group so it doesn't bother me that much but um there are certain situations when i've got my sensors out to see um should i get out of here as fast as possible or should i can i just um even um, say hello to them and just disarm them that way because oh yeah i'm not actually a monster really and that's uh i know there are some people uh, not necessarily with mobius but with, with other ailments that will have like a a business card that says hi you know i'm this and uh you know this is what's going on with me and they pass that out as kind of like an information informative thing so you don't have to deal with the back and forth of those conversations which can be very long and tiresome to have those repeatedly i guess my my next question for you though is with the having gone through all of that with the bullying and with people um, reacting to you differently what advice do you have for parents who maybe have someone have a child with mobius what can you say to someone who's going through school with bullying with Mobius? Like, what could you do or what could they do to help calm that down? Yeah, it's a tricky, tricky issue. Um, and for parents, um, I think what I see, and also from the uh, German Media Syndrome um, Association, um, it's, it's very difficult to find a balance um, but it is very important to find a balance between protecting your child by all means, and this is so important to to provide open um, to provide a haven for them to come and talk to you about bullying, to say um, and to say it's okay to talk about it. Please let me know if this is going on. Do not hide this, and do not keep this to yourself. Um, on the one hand, and on the other hand, um, to make sure that your child goes out into the world and finds ways of um, finds ways of coping with this. Um, one thing I would recommend is that parents say this reaction. People react to you. You look a little bit different to other people, maybe, and people. Just like you are different in one way, people have different ways of reacting to you. Um, 
And what I've learned and what I would say now to um, parents is um, try to reassure all these people who are reacting negatively to you. It's a difficult balance to say, I am not condoning this under no circumstances should you condone this. And um, you should make, you should raise the awareness of the teachers. Um, sorry, this, this stuff is going on. My child is being bullied. We need help. Um, I'm giving my child help at home, but I can't do this alone. We need collaboration in the school. We need uh, teachers to speak out against bullying and to say, uh, okay, why are you bullying? Um, but at the same time, um, it's a reaction, and the reaction is based, comes from a place, let's say, of fear. And and we need, and this is unfortunately also our job um, as medias patients, but we need help from outside, from uh, people with a, uh, let's say, standard appearance, and to help us, to join us, and to say, uh, this kind of reaction, which is physical violence, stupid comments, comments that put people down and can damage them for life, and are out of place, and, and they come from a place of fear, and we and our friends um, should alleviate, do all we can to say, we to show and demonstrate that we are just like anyone else, we have our ups, our downs, our good sides, our strengths, our weaknesses, um, but we're still people. And um, you don't need to be afraid of us. If you have questions, ask us. But under no circumstances is violence or negative behaviour, aggressive behaviour, ever going to be a solution to anything. Absolutely um, not. Yeah, absolutely not. There's no, there's no place for that. Did you find that as you went through school and the higher levels, like university, that you still had to deal with that sort of reaction from people? Or did that kind of change as people are sort of finding who they are as adults? Mm, that's a very, <laughs> that's a very interesting and um, oh, multifaceted question, really. Um, <laughs> Let, let's say um, there are many things that spring to mind, but let's say my my experience um, was it was it got so much easier. It did get easier. Um, secondary school was still very very difficult for me. Not so much because of bullying, but because inadequacy feelings. I didn't know what it was at the time. Today. I would say I was trying to overcompensate for my difference by, um, so I was very quiet. I was very quiet at school. And I think what was happening was I was trying to be this perfectionist and um, I was, um, I didn't like to say things in class because now I know I was trying to be, I only wanted to give perfect answers and of course, you can't always give perfect answers. So I rather, I was rather quiet than say anything, and so that in itself caused problems, um, which the teachers tried to deal with as as best they could. But they they did have an understanding, um, and I had some fairly good relationships with my teachers because they could see that I could 
and my written exams, that was all. Um, I was very lucky there. I was uh, quite good. And um, at university, yeah, things opened up. Um, going to university was, um, yeah, amazing because, let's say, I think I was with some very broad-minded people there. I did have some questions. Um, I remember I had university entrance uh, exams and interviews. And when I went to the interview, um, I had several interviews with various people at the at the university. And one or two people asked me, um, do you think, because I was going to study Japanese um, and I would be going to Japan, and they said, do you think um, you will be able to cope in a different culture? Uh, we actually do not know how the Japanese will um, how the Japanese treat difference. Mm. So we cannot guarantee uh, that it will always be easy for you. And um, I said, well, I've, I've been through one culture change. I had to move from Ireland to Germany, learn the language quickly. Obviously, Japan is a completely different culture, but um, um, I'll take that as it comes. They just wanted to raise this awareness with me that they didn't know what it would be like for me. Um, and it was all very well-meaning. Um, I also had um, one tutor said, um, have you ever heard of smile surgery? And I hadn't. And um, so we did consider this. And it, this was all, um, they really understood this advice or this suggestion as um, being, it was very well-meaning advice. And we took up the advice to a certain extent. Um, but it was never meant, uh, this was not meant as criticism. It was just meant as um, handing me some more information that I might not have access to. And generally, I had very, uh, it wasn't really, uh, apart from one or two interviews, um, my difference at university was never, never an issue, really. Um, and it has been since then, but... Um, yeah, <laughs> I think that's there's there's stuff there um, linked to my upbringing. Are there any misconceptions that people have about you because of your um, appearance? Yes, um, it doesn't happen very often, but um, people because I have a bilateral paralysis, I don't don't know whether that makes a difference, but um, I will be out if I'm out with one or two people um, and people, uh, so let's say I'm in a restaurant and the waiter will come and he'll see me and he'll see uh, my partner, for example, or he'll see uh, somebody else with me. Sometimes um, they will tend to go for the other person to speak to the other person and there is sometimes this misconception oh um, i don't know if i can talk to her i don't know if she will understand me because i can't communicate at all via facial expression and sometimes i get i can see people other people's expressions i think ah yes they're wondering can they talk to me? Am I um, intelligent enough to understand their questions? Um, this is this is the 
possibly the most common misconception. Um, the second most common is, um, yes, are you um, are you angry with me? Um, and and this happens. This is quite interesting in discos when you cannot speak because it's too loud. I might be in a disco, I might be at a dance party, and um, I know somebody had put something somewhere and I moved it out. I, I don't know, we, we had a quick interaction and I just moved something out of the way for somebody and um, they they reacted in a way that made it obvious to me, oh, um, they think that I am angry with them for some reason. And I tried to explain that it was very difficult because the music was too loud and I realised, no, just let it go. And they won't understand, they won't hear, they won't be able to hear anything that you are saying. So just let it go. You just have to accept that she thinks that you're angry about something, although you're not at all. Those are the two most common misconceptions I come across. That's pretty common with the other people that I, I speak to as well. We're all in good company. So here's kind of an interesting conversation that uh, I don't talk about a lot with a, a lot of people on this show, but what was your dating life like? And I know you have a, an interesting story about this, so I, I specifically wanted to ask you about this. So what what was dating like or what is dating like currently? Yeah, um, dating, dating, what is dating? I would have said, um, yeah, dating, oh, what, that was like um, a foreign language to me um, when I was a, a teenager. I now know about the love side community. There's, I, I think in the US it's called the love side community or incel involuntary celibacy. And I was one of those, basically, um, I, I thought, yeah, men are, they seem quite interesting, but how the hell are you? <laughs> you get on a date, uh, totally beats me. Um, I did have, um, I did have one success when I was 15. I actually went to dancing lessons, ballroom dancing, uh, with a friend, a female friend of mine, and I think she dropped out after a while, and I, I carried on to the end and I thought, I'd love to go to this ball. And then I realized, oh, I'm not going to this ball unless I have a partner. And I actually, uh, in the last moment, actually managed to find um, a guy who was very shy. And I was the one who initiated the conversation and, and he said yes. And so that was a very early success. Um, but okay, we were just partners for the dance, um, and there was absolutely no chance of anything else going on. I had no idea how to do that, <laughs> um, and that was it. Then I I did have some guys that I was very keen on. I I wrote one or two love letters, or let's say I wrote one or two letters um, to people at university who I was interested in. But I had no idea at all how to initiate anything. Part of me said, yeah, maybe this is not for you. And I think there was a very strong voice saying, yeah, yeah, it has to come from the other side as well. And and um, the other issue was that I went to a female, a women's college um, in England. 
Um, and so I had around me at university, I had there were men in my classes, etc. But I also had this background of being at a female college. My presumption, to be honest, was that a lot of them had been uh, scholars. They'd uh, gone on to do fantastic things, but um, finding a partner was possibly not uh, their main priority. Um, and so that did probably did uh, influence me a bit. So I thought, okay, um, yeah, don't worry, don't get too tied up in this dating thing that you don't understand anyway. Just get on with your life. Um, so after university, I thought my priority is finding a job, uh, finding, uh, getting independent, being independent um, and not continuing study. And I thought, that's it. Now I'm going out into the real world because I want my independence. I want to be financially independent. And so I put dating on the back burner for a long time. And finally, when I was about 35, I decided um, I'll, I'll try some online dating. Online dating was in its yeah, stay, early stages. So I tried and had some dates. And oh, I, had, I always had one or two first dates. And usually um, I thought, okay, um, I don't know, I'm not that interested, or they weren't interested in, they weren't interested, and it um, it never really got anywhere. The only thing I thought when I was 35 was, if you want children, you must try. You must try um, to find a partner. And if you're not successful, then at least you can look back in hindsight and say, um, I did try. Um, but I couldn't find anyone, and that's the way it is. Um, let's say I was lucky in that children were not my main priority. I didn't have to have children, uh, which a lot of people um, do want to have. So that made me a little bit freer. But yeah, it wasn't until a lot of other things happened um, that I, I realised that I hadn't really been putting in the right effort and uh, yeah it's a well, it's a long story and it goes in various stages but one of the stages a huge thing was that I found this I had this Japanese friend a uh, female friend um, from from work and she we used to meet together have wine in the evenings uh, late at night conversations and she said one day um why are you alone? Um, and I said, why? <laughs> well, why not? I mean, there's no way that I can find anyone the way I look. And I'm, I mean, I've tried. I've tried and it's, it's never worked. And she said, well, I don't believe that. And I said, well, <laughs> that's the way it is. And she said, I still don't believe it. And she wouldn't take no for an answer. And she said, if you really want to find somebody, what have you been doing to find somebody? And I said, yeah, well, I've done this, I've tried this. And she said, um, ah, yeah, but maybe you hadn't put much, enough effort in, really. You, you've sort of gone about it in a half-hearted way um, because you've got this belief 
that, yeah, nobody's really going to like you anyway, and this is limiting you. And um, so she actually set, set me up with a couple of um, dates, and they didn't work, but um, it was great experience. In hindsight, I would say it was great experience. And um, what she always said to me, and I now say, um, now I would say to people who, who have the love side phenomenon, somebody who's never had a date in their, in their 30s, their 40s, um, you need to have somebody, some opportunity to come along and you can create this opportunity to open the door into this world. And um, so she started me on this journey and um, I persevered. I then realized I have to go about it in a slightly different way and say, accept yourself first. You are okay. You have so much, what do you have to offer? And I started to feel a lot happier because of a few other things that were also going on in my life. And I started um, to really accept myself. And um, then uh, my first adventure happened when I was least expecting it. But uh, mm. yeah, and my, my first adventure uh, was in Ireland. <laughs> Where, <laughs> yes. Um, so I went to Cork, wasn't feeling that well. The weather was pretty bad. And on the last night, as it happens then, on the last night, I thought, right, I haven't been feeling that well, but tonight is my last night in Ireland. I have to get to this pub because I know they've got wonderful music there. Um, what happened at the pub was that I started talking to this guy at the, at the, um, at the bar. We started talking and then the music started playing, but I didn't hear any of the music because I was basically talking with this guy for three hours wow. and um, he was just laughing um, he was British and uh, he was let's say in exile in Ireland uh, three hours of non-stop conversation and and eventually I said yeah I have to go um, I've unfortunately I've got a flight to get tomorrow and and um, actually we hugged each other goodbye and I thought yeah well that's the end of that and um, what happened then was weird, unbelievable synchronicity, because a week later, I actually went to my very first um, meeting at the Media Syndrome Convention in Germany. The first night of the convention, I got into bed about midnight, and um, I just thought of this guy, and I um, I just texted him and said, "Are you are you there? How are you?" and he immediately answered, and um, after that, we had regular text messaging going on, and I was trying to forget him. And eventually, I said, you know, um, yeah, how are you? And he said, when are you coming back to Ireland? And I thought, um, okay, we've had seven months. This has been going on for seven months. And um, I said, I don't know what the hell this is, but I said, I think I'm going to find out now. But I went down for the day to Cork to see um, to see what this guy, what was going on. And I just thought, innocently thought, yeah, it's just having a coffee together. 
Um, but yeah, it was a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, so let's say we met in this pub. I mean, I thought, yeah, do all the things for security. I'll meet in a pub, nicely public place. Um, and I realized um, that the two of us were attracted to each other. But, um, and I thought, I don't, I had no, I was panicking. I was really, it was, it was exhilarating, but at the same time, it was really frightening as well. Um, Because I thought, what do I do now? What do I do now? And I went to the loo, literally, I went to the loo um, at one stage and tried to call a friend in Germany and said, what the hell? What am I going to do? And she didn't, she couldn't answer. So I just decided, right, I'm in the loo. Um, I'm gonna get my I'm gonna get my coat on and I'm gonna leave, um, because he wanted me to come back with him to his place, and I thought um, I'm not ready for that, I'm not ready for that, um, and I instinctively though fortunately realised when I was in the do I thought this is the test, and um, if he reacts in a certain way and he he understands what's going on and I say I want to come back but I'm just not ready for this um I'm not ready to go home with you um but I I do like you I I find you very very interesting I'd love to come back and I will come back and if he reacts in the right way and understands then I will come back uh and if if he doesn't understand then that's it and uh, yeah, so I went out there and I didn't say anything. I just got my coat and he was looking out for me <laughs> with Hawkeye. Yeah. And he said, oh, no, you want to go? And I said, yes. And I said, you know, I'm very inexperienced. I have no idea <laughs> about anything. And um, but I do love you. I do find you very interesting. I'd love to come back. And he then behaved like a perfect gentleman. He then got my coat on for me, helped me into my coat. And at the same time, he was trying to persuade me to stay, but he was then walking me. He walked me to the bus and we were talking all the time. And so we had oh, one of these um, farewell sessions at the bus. We were waiting for, so I had to get this coach back to Dublin. And so we were waiting until all the others were on the bus and he was sort of kissing me and um, and um, waiting until everyone was on and said, okay, right, I have to go now. And um, I thought, right, the, the, that kind of behaviour, I can, that's, that shows me that he does understand and that he will wait for me when I come back in a couple of months' time. So, yeah, so I came back in... Um, I think I went back to Ireland uh, in March 2014, and that was the beginning of a distance relationship. Um, yeah, that was uh, quite uh, amazing. It just opened opened my eyes to a whole load of uh, new experiences. Um, did that just absolutely? Said, did that absolutely yeah. just like blow your mind at that point? Just this. Where, yeah. you know, you kind of go, oh, this is never going to happen, never going to happen. And then you have this experience, you know, the first kiss and all of that. Yeah, first kiss at, what was I, uh, 40, I was 41. 
I was 41 when I had my first kiss. <laughs> I mean, because I realised, yeah, I, I don't know if I can really kiss anyone um, because I, I can't really use my lips like other people can. With hindsight, I thought he was clever. He was going to get some food for us and he turned around, kissed me on the mouth and disappeared immediately <laughs> before I could even hit him or anything. <laughs> um, so I think that was very clever. And I was then just left in shock, total shock. Um, oh my God, what, 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 what just happened? What just happened? And then he comes back and then he kisses me again on the mouth. And I, I just don't react because I'm in shock. And, and yeah, I just don't know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to do. And then he says to me, I'll never forget what he said, I'll kiss me, you bugger. <laughs> and I thought, um, okay, um, yeah, all right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I needed that to sort of come out of my shock. And um, so then, but... I yeah I didn't really think about it. I just thought, yeah, well, I yeah I didn't didn't actually ask him, is this okay? I thought, yeah, I think this is okay. I know this is okay because the way he's reacting is okay. Uh, yeah, and uh, after that, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I do like kissing. Let's say I do like kissing now. That's awesome. That's such a a great story. That's um, that's such a good story. I love it so much. Uh, we're going to be wrapping up in just a minute, but before we do that, what advice do you have for people who've recently acquired facial paralysis? Mm, yeah, um, I, I would say with all due respect um, for people who have just acquired facial paralysis, um, I would say anything I say to them is with the greatest respect because respect for the difference that I was born with this. I've had um, 40 plus years to get used to this. Um, you, um, if you are just, if you have just acquired facial paralysis, get all, get all the help you can to, to find out what is behind the facial paralysis because there are so many different um, medical issues there, but also find help to talk about um, what is going on inside, what is going on for you psychologically, mentally, how do you feel? Um, and if somebody says to you, um, yeah, um, it's no big deal, because that might happen, like people may, um, I I understand that people in the medical profession as well sometimes put um, put it down and say it's not a big deal. Um, find the help that you need, and um, it's a big. It could be a big loss for you. I understand it's a huge loss of identity, and take one day at a time. But remind yourself. I'd love to remind you that you are still you. You now, you unfortunately, you're going through this experience, but remind yourself what makes you you on the inside. What what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? Um, find people that understand you. Uh, find people that support you because you need special support in this time. 
and look after yourself. Make sure that you are in a good place. Get any support that you you can, um, because um, it is a huge change. It's a huge thing to come to terms with. It is easy. It is it is possible to come to terms with, but it will take time. Some people take longer than others, but it does take time. It takes the time that you need. Um, but um, I'm here for you as well. <laughs> <laughs> I um, think that's that's yeah. uh, that's great advice. It's amazing advice, and think that's exactly what what people need to hear. And I just want to say, Zoe, thank you so much for. Uh, taking the time today and uh, sharing your story and just uh, opening yourself up to us and, and letting us kind of on the uh, inside of, of, of who you are and, and what life's been like for you. And thank you again for your wisdom and your insight. And uh, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. And I uh, hope to get to talk to you again in the future. <laughs>